Hello? No, this is me. General Flynn, sir, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing very, very good. It's an absolute honor uh, to speak with you today. Well, thank you very much for having me. Are we, are we recording yet? We are. Great. Well, thanks for, uh, for asking me and, and being persistent because <laughs> my time is, is really, uh, really not mine these days. I feel, I feel that way. But um, in fact, I'm getting ready to, to head to uh, Phoenix, Arizona for a gigantic rally that we're having for the next couple of days. And it just so happens to tie into uh, a rally that uh, President Trump is doing on in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Saturday night. So we have a, about 5,000 people showing up. So I'm, I'm getting my head ready for as I'm going to be the next couple of days focused on trying to get people engaged, right? That's what we're all trying to do these days. Inform, educate, teach, counsel, get people fired up. No, absolutely. I know you have a, a packed schedule, you know, fighting like a Flynn. That's right. Exactly. So I appreciate you taking the time uh, to come on uh, the podcast, and I'm sure my listeners will really appreciate our, our conversation. And uh, I know for uh, my part, I always draw great strength from listening to you or reading your op-eds, you know, the, that you published, um, especially on the Western Journal, you know, throughout the last few years. That has been a great source of inspiration to, to keep going. Well, I actually have a, a uh, another, I call it a letter, but I, I wrote a, it's a long letter, obviously, but I wrote a long letter to America, and I'm about to publish it here. It's, it's already written, it's already done, it's, I've finished editing, and I call it Letter to America, The Time for Faith and Family is Now. And it's really uh, a, a description of Uh, how the American people, principally the American people, but people from all around the world, came to my aid over the last, really, five years. And uh, it's very hard, I, I, you know, for me, it's a very heartfelt letter. And it's like an intimate letter. I talk about things in it that, you know, it's like, it's as though I was writing a letter to you, Nor, or writing a letter to a friend and just, you know, kind of exposing how I felt. And, and, uh, and so I felt a need to do that. And I worked on it for like the last six months, actually, so I would get it about right. And like I said, it's just a letter, but it's a long letter, and I hope to have it uh, out probably in about another week. Well, we'll be sure to, to share it, all of us who are listening, and, and myself included, of course. And uh, I think what you said about people coming to your defense or your aid or support, it's very much goes in both ways because we really saw how you have been treated, how you have been a target of the deep state, of the national security state, and how you fought very valiantly for justice. And you mentioned it, you know, several times, including in Amanda Milius's film, The Plot Against the President, but you, you said several times before that if they can do this to you, they can do it to anyone. And this is really what we've been seeing transpire the past five years more intensely, more overtly, though this is a conversation that I'd love to have with you about the past decades of yeah. interwoven agencies and subverted institutions working hand in hand to target, persecute, and even harm American citizens, culminating right, with tried. this one six fake insurrection, basically. Yeah, they try to, uh, and, and you know this because they've done it to you, Uh, and they do it to many of us. 
but they try to, to characterize or define you as a person as some some subhuman type of creature, right? And they may, they do it through the media, they do it through the censorship, the cancel culture, the tech world, but principally through the media, and that's both uh, mainstream media in the United States of America and media overseas as well. Particularly, the media overseas is even worse, mm-hmm. I think, as you know. And, and you know, if you're overseas and you're watching TV in in a hotel in Africa or Asia or or you're at a, at a street cafe and you're listening or you're reading something. I mean, it's very, very uh, socialist, very strong socialist leanings, if not communism, you know, or, or Marxism in many cases. And we're so so we have been experiencing probably 30 to 40 years of a of a climbing up this ladder to get to some place, and this is really for the socialist movement in the United States of America, the Democratic Socialist Party of America, the Communist Party of America, and then they had to make decisions. And so when they define those of us who have a platform, a national platform, an international platform, I think uh, whether we like it or not, or both, both of us have an international platform. And so what we have to do is we have to be smart and we have to be humble we have to be authentic. We have to be uh, courageous. Uh, but I think what I try to tell people is is a couple of things. One, champions do rise to to the times that we have, and they always have in history. And uh, positive role models, champions for a cause, champions for a nation. So that's sort of one. I think the other side is that not everybody, and I say this here in the United States, not everybody has to be a Washington, D.C. superstar, right? Not everybody has to be or think that they have to get involved and mix it up at that level. And not everybody has to be a Joan of Arc. I mean, you're, you are actually, uh, you know, and I, I would define you as a, as a Joan of Arc type person, even though I know that you're not, you don't feel that way about yourself. But we do have to have these national and international platform people, people that are that have that profile and have the courage to stand up and speak truth to power. But what we have been facing is we've been facing really a, a uh, and this is not just because of Donald Trump, this is really 30 to 40 years of a shift in, a, in the ideological leanings within, certainly within Europe, uh, definitely within Asia. Asia has always kind of been there in parts of Asia even though they, they would love to, you know, state that they are strongly, you know, they lean towards democracy. Uh, India, I think, is still a, a good example of a, of a democratic nation, but it's still uh, very monolithic in terms of its uh, religious foundations, which is fine. You know, I mean, I think uh, Hinduism and Buddhism is fine, and, and that's good. And that's, and that's a great faith-based ideological political system that India has but they are principally a democracy. That's a large, you know, 1.3, 1.4, maybe 1.5 billion people. I think uh, continents like South America, South America at one time was almost principally communism. Uh, same with uh, Central America or Latin America, as we define it. And that changed over the 80s and into the 90s a bit. And still you have countries like Brazil that are uh, principally democratic countries and led by a great president down there who's fighting tooth and nail and mm-hmm. against the rise of socialism there. So, I mean, we could go through all of the different parts of the world, 
I think what what I represented was especially when you say, they, you know, and like I've said, if they can go after me, they can go after anybody. I mean, so they tried to, to sort of dehumanize me in the media and make me out to be this person that I was not, you know, that I am not. And and so it's, you know, it's Mike Flynn, it's General Flynn, it's this. But really what I was, was I was a threat uh, to a political class and a, you know, you can call it a deep state, but certainly a bureaucratic class of people that have a global capability and a global capacity, and they do it right from here in the United States of America. And so I was, you know, not just some political consultant or political advisor. I mean, I became the national security advisor for the United States of America. You know, once a once the the majority of the United States of American citizenry elected the president of the United States in 2016, and at that time, of course, was Donald Trump, you know, he starts to choose, you know, based on being duly elected, you know, in a very, under a constitutional republic in a very democratic system, he starts to choose who he wants to have advising him. And I had been advising him for well over a year by that time that he chose me to be the national security advisor, which is a an extremely, extremely important role for anyone, any one person. You don't rise to that level because you're all these things that these people tried to, these different organizations and media outlets, especially, you know, through the through their um, controllers at, above them, sort of this elite globalist group. You don't rise to that position because you're stupid or because you, you know, you, you, uh, you have you know, some ugly past. You rise to that level because, you know, and, and in the case of the, you know, the president, in this case, President Trump, he and I had a great relationship and still do connected. And he knew that I was not one of these people who are enamored with, you know, kings and, and princes and, and uh, generals and admirals and presidents and prime ministers. But I was all about using great, you know, a God-given common sense and trying to solve big problems, big problems that we still uh, have. And one of those problems, and I'll sort of get to where I think we're, we need to go with this particular conversation, because we'll do this again, Nor. I think, you know, the problems that we have is we have a, a bureaucracy, particularly a security state. And I've described this on other interviews I've done, but I'll describe it for your audience. We really have, uh, and, and, and for anybody that wants to go back and look at our history, United States history, uh, we had one a president. He was a general, and his name was Eisenhower. He was a general during World War II and did some you know amazing things as a as a general, leading particularly leading what was happening in the European theater as World War II wound, wound down. But then he became the president in 1961. Upon departing his presidency, he warned the United States of America, and he warned us about two things. You know the. The, the military and industrial complex, right? Those are two things. And they are joined, and they were certainly joined together then, this military and industrial complex. His, his speech is a wonderful speech. It, it's a vision of the future, and now we are living in that future. So my, my thing now is that we've moved on, uh, not that those two components went away, but what was created and what was was necessary to create, and it really didn't come into its own until the early 90s. I think that there were those in government, and, and I'm now talking about bureaucrats, probably with some politically 
elected officials, but principally bureaucrats, probably in the in the mid 70s, late 70s, and into the you know a little bit in the 80s, but definitely uh, into the 90s. And we now have this thing called the security state complex. So we have the military, the industrial, and now the security state complex. I mean, after 9/11, Noor, which has impacted both of our lives, 9/11 here in the United States of America impacted both of our lives tremendously. I mean, it just has. There's no, you know, ways around defining it any other way. It's just the impact to both of us personally, and then and then certainly to the world. You know, it was a it was a tremendous impact. So. From that, the United States then went in a direction to create a security state that has gone totally out of control. And when, when we talk about you know, intelligence agencies in the United States of America, I mean, my God, every, everywhere you turn, you have a new building being built for another intelligence agency. You know, we have 16 of them, and if you, can, if you add the the director of national intelligence or the office of the director of national intelligence in that you can have, you can have a 17th one. So why do we, why should we have so many of these various intelligence agencies? And these are large, large bureaucratic organizations now. So from, from the early part of the last decade, so 20, 20 years ago, two decades ago, until now we have this extraordinary growth of the security state complex combined with the military and combined with the industrial complex. And I would say the security state complex is a is combined as an as an entity or as a component all and of itself is combined itself with the tech world, with the artificial intelligence world, with the media world, because many of the people that are media stars, so to speak, they came out of some of these intelligence agencies. They're all they, tentacles of the same yeah, octopus. Yeah. So this is what we are facing. That's my warning to the world. And, and you know, because I'll talk a little bit about uh, maybe how we're trying to do things here. And I, I mentioned earlier when we spoke about what I'm about to head, head toward, which is some of the, the solutions, the local solutions that I do talk about, because there are solutions to this problem, uh, this bigger problem. But, but you layer those those complexes, those components of governments and uh, bureaucracies and elected officials, you, on top of that, then, as you, as you build this pyramid up from the bottom, you know, as you get closer to the top, you have a, sort of an elitist component of people that are global. And they see themselves as global, and they, and they act globally. Uh, but they don't act globally for the betterment of humanity or for the betterment of humankind, especially now with what we're seeing with the, uh, the truth as, as it always does, like it did in my case, the truth always rises to the top and it always seems to find its way uh, out of the, the dark shadows uh, where people would rather, uh, where some of these complexes, some of these com components, and certainly the elite would love to keep it hidden. And they will continue to cancel anybody that tries to expose the truth. And they will actually not just cancel somebody. You know, they'll try to they'll try to ruin the lives and the livelihoods of these people that are standing up fighting against this uh, this health global health tyranny that we are experiencing around the world. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that COVID is not real. It is. People have died from it. 
people get the flu, right? That you get the, the disease, and but how do you how do you overcome it, right? And and uh, we've been we've been lied to. We really have been lied to. So you know, if you try to put this this media podcast on on uh, YouTube, you're going to be banned. And I don't know if you're on YouTube anymore, but you should you, you should see it as a badge of honor if you're banned from YouTube. So we have this elite body of people, you know. Since the start of COVID, I, I've been I've been reading um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s uh, book, his mm-hmm. new book, and I don't know if you had a chance to read it. You know, it's it's the title is the real Anthony Fauci. Mm-hmm. And, Excerpts uh, of it. Everybody should yeah, get yeah. this book. Oh my God! I'm, I'm I I I've, I know Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I've spoken to him. I'm I'm going to try to meet with him to find ways to align what I'm trying to do and, and I think what, what he's been doing for his entire lifetime. But this, this book, The Real uh, Anthony Fauci, it's more than just about Anthony Fauci, but it's like it, it's Anthony Fauci is a microcosm of everything that is wrong with how our government has evolved. And our government has evolved with a deep, deep-seated level of corruption, now, people desiring bureaucrats, desiring power, uh, they have extraordinary, they, and they are able to, to create extraordinary wealth for themselves, personal wealth for themselves. And so when you look at, at some of the things that are happening and some of the ways he's describing that, uh, and I'm, I'm only about a third of the way done. I'm going to try to read it over the next couple of days because it's, it's fascinating because it's almost like when I look at what happened to me and my personal story, uh, and there's many books, you know, we, we mentioned, uh, you know, The Plot Against the President by Amanda Milius is a documentary. And I know that Amanda, as I've spoken with her, as she began to develop that documentary, The Plot Against the President, she was actually developing it based on a Lee Smith, you know, an international or national bestseller by Lee Smith mm-hmm. book. And, uh, and they actually was, as it, as it morphed, as, a, as they went through developing and producing the documentary, it really became a story about General Mike Flynn. Because Mike Flynn was on the, you know, was on the wrong side of the bad guys, right? The bad guys being these complexes and these institutions that have grown so corrupt and people inside of the institutions, right? I described on an interview about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago now, that in our country, we have really two governments. We have the elected government, those that we elect, and then we have the bureaucracy, the other government, and the, and the, uh, and the class of of people, particularly in the security state complex, and that includes the CIA, the DIA, the FBI, all you know, the Department of Homeland Security, all these different institutions that are run by bureaucrats. And you know, yeah, elected officials come in and they they, they come and go on the legislative branch of our of our constitution, uh, and all because all these other people that I'm talking about, they really work under the executive branch of our government. And so, unless you get a president. In charge, I should get a president of the United States, and like what Donald Trump tried to do, and uh, and and he was, you know, he was effective to a degree, but he really didn't understand the 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 structure of the government. And I think after I was, you know, removed from that position and and, and had to resign because of a whole series of lies by the security state complex, he really lost a, a an individual who ran one of the largest intelligence agencies in the world, Norm. And I've been on six continents. I really do understand the foreign policy issues around the world. I know 
uh, I, I was the assistant director of national intelligence, where I was responsible for not only foreign intelligence uh, relationships, but I was also responsible for all domestic relationships in the United States of America at the highest level of the uh, of the intelligence community. And that, you know, people, a lot of people don't know, but I was appointed twice. So appointed twice by Barack Obama, and then confirmed unanimously by the United States Senate for two positions. One was as the Assistant Director of National Intelligence, and the second was the Director of the uh, Defense Intelligence Agency, as I just described briefly both of those two roles. So I was clearly a threat in, in, the, in the position of National Security Advisor to the President of the United States, and so they had to go after me. They had to remove me because they knew that I knew a lot about what what they were up to. And is there, and in the role of national security advisor, you have not only you know extraordinary authority, but you have influence with the president of the United States, who can make decisions about the, certainly the executive branch of the government. So when I when I stepped down and and walked away from that, I. You know, I mean, I, of course, I felt embarrassed and all that. You go through all these emotions. But what I really felt was like, oh, my God, these people are, they are going to try to ruin this country. And I knew that early on. And, and so, you know, how, how I, uh, you know, I'm a surfer, right? I, I'm a wave surfer. Mm -hmm. I've surfed for 50 years. So how I was going to ride that wave, you know, like anybody that's ever surfed or anybody that's ever done anything on the water, you know, you can't control the the winds, you can't control the, the strength of the ocean, but you know, you know when you go out to surf, you're you're riding certain waves and you take off on big ones, you take off on little ones, and you try to ride it the best you can. And so that's kind of to use that metaphor, I was trying to do that and ride that wave the best I could, uh, given the resources that I didn't have and, and the and the way that I felt this thing was going to play out from a, a human standpoint and from a historic standpoint. And, and, you know, speaking again, personally, my, you know, I was, I was in a, you know, on a podcast last night with uh, Sidney Powell mm -hmm. and, you know, she entered my life like a miracle. And so through her uh, strong abilities and my resilience, frankly, and my family's resilience and, and fortitude and perseverance, we managed to get through it despite the legislative branch, despite the judicial branch, despite the executive branch, despite the, you know, the security state, despite the media constantly attacking, and they still do. So all that said, what I'd like to do is maybe take a few minutes as we kind of wrap up, uh, you know, and, and see if one, if you had any questions. And two, I'd like to just talk about where we need to go, because I really think that people out there need to feel like, okay, there's 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 a solution here. There's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So I'll stop. And if you have any questions or any guidance, the thing I'd like to bounce off of is when you say you know this global class that is at the top of the pyramid. This is really what I tried to convey in uh, my letter to America, which I dedicated to you. As as you know, because of everything you've been through and and the example that you gave us in terms of standing up to this class. And the point that I make is that you do have this plot that has been decades in the making. I, I view the entire 20th century as really a plot to 
try and subvert America from within, weaken America in order to bring her on the same level or playing field as other nations to inaugurate the new world order as they've coined it. One message that you've, you know, hammered on, especially the last couple of years that really resonated with me is about getting involved locally and reclaiming these institutions. As you've just described, you know, in the last few minutes, this bureaucracy that has become so thick and um, impermeable, how do you say this in English? Impenetrable, perhaps? Right, right. And how it is up to us now to just get involved however we can look and also bouncing off of something else you said earlier, you know, and I say this very often, we each have to look where we are in our lives, what are the different possibilities, what we can do at our own level. We have to persevere. We have to continue to fight, right? We have to continue to move forward because, and I'll use, you know, what you just said, because I, I do think, believe, and it's not, it's been going on for a long, long time, Nor decades this this theft of democracy this bringing america to its knees mm -hmm. in ways other than going to war with america but you can drain resources from a nation uh like a, like the united states of america by having all of these sort of you know third world wars around the around the world continue to just drain the energy sap the energy drain the, uh, the, the the accounts the you know the the banking accounts of the country right I mean and so if you can't beat them by by a World War two of you know uh, where, where the if, if Hitler had won in World War two and and, uh, and his counterparts over in Japan we'd be all you know kneeling at the altar of, of Nazism today so so there was there were decisions made and these decisions go back Decades. These decisions go back certainly to the 50s, post-World War II, definitely into the 60s, where there was a major decision by the communists to, to control one political party in this, in this country, in the United States, and that political party was the Democrats, and they did. And, that's what, and so now they've worked on that for decades and decades, for the better part of 50 years. So this is very real. It's been written about. There's, this is no conspiracy theory. There's a lot of evidence that shows that. I mean, tons and tons of evidence. So, how do we? It's out in the open. Their plot yes, is really out of uh, out in the open, and it's really been about, as I mentioned, this class that has this objective of a world government. They really do. They and really the only do. thing that was standing in their way, or the only thing standing in their way, is America and the U.S. Constitution. And it has been a war. It has been a very insidious war that has been fought on multiple fronts. And as I wrote, you know, it's been the subversion of the education system, as you said, you know, earlier, the media, especially all these institutions. And the result is even that now we are in 2022 and watching the news personally and watching all the rhetoric and the messaging that is being put out there by all these talking heads, all these minions in these different institutions, especially the media, the whole message is, has always been, you know, um, repeated over and over, especially the last few decades, about how America is the enemy, about how America is, is such a terrible country. And these people in power, they hate America themselves, and they've done everything to indoctrinate the population into believing their lies about America and making them hate America like them. And it's been incredibly painful watching this from the sidelines as someone who, 
who loves your country and what your founding fathers achieved. Yeah. So you know, when I if I put it into military terms or military strategy, the strategy that they that they have been fighting or they have been uh, shaping is masterful. It really is. I mean, the master strategists on the left, let's say, the if I was looking at it from the from an uh, you know a friendly and enemy perspective in my in my you know growing up in the military, my growing up in the intelligence community, particularly the on the military side, the enemy has been masterful in terms of their strategy, their overall strategy. It has been it has been visionary, it's been long, it's long term, uh, it's been well resourced. They have grabbed hold of the right types of resources like the media, like the tech world. So so now what do we do about it? Because we must reclaim these institutions. We must reclaim democracy. We must reclaim freedom. And most people around the world, that well, well first of all, every, every human being born uh, on this planet, you know, seeks freedom as a child, right? The inhibition of a child is really the, 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 the idea of freedom being expressed by a young child because they don't know any better. And as you get older, you know, you, you generally want to have that, you want to be, uh, you know, uninhibited to be able to do the things and say the things and act the way you want to act, of course, within the various, you know, mores of society. But what we have, what we have right now is we have institutions that have been uh, grabbed hold of. We have democracy that is at risk and we have our basic freedoms that are basically being taken from us on a daily basis. And, 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 the, and you know, globally right now, I just got a note from a a friend in Australia last night um, laying out what basic freedoms Australia ha are, are having taken from them to respond to, you know, this COVID, quote unquote, COVID crisis, this pandemic, right? So, I mean, it's an, it, it is an elimination of all their basic rights and freedoms. And that's a country such as Australia, which has a, you know, has always been a, 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 another one of these beacons of democracy. But the United States of America and our continued path down this, this experiment in democracy, you know, called a constitutional republic, is at risk. And nobody should kid themselves. So what do we do about it? And I, I like to, to use the phrase, local action has a national impact. And so I do strongly believe and I strongly urge and I plead people of this country, of the United States, you know, and, and certainly people around the world that are part of your audience um, to try to figure out how do I participate in my society. And here in the, in the United States of America, we're getting ready to go do our, I think it's our eighth, uh, we call it the Reawaken Tour across the United States of America. We've been to, uh, this coming weekend, we're going to be in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, in fact, I'll be there tonight. I'll be there all day tomorrow, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And we're, we've got about 5,000 people showing up to basically, we are, we are educating, we are training, we are counseling, we are encouraging. And, and like I just used the word pleading, mm -hmm. I'm pleading up, you know, for people to get involved, to get off the couch and get involved in their local communities. The United States of America still retains a beautiful constitution. We still retain something we call the rule of law, even though the rule of law is at risk, certainly at the higher levels of our government because of the, because of the capturing of the institutions by this globalist elite. 
uh, you know, you don't get into a position within the, the judiciary, particularly in the highest levels, unless somebody probably owns you. And that's not to say that every justice of the United States Supreme Court is owned, but but I, I just I just know how these people operate, how, how the elite and the corrupt powerful, particularly in our country, operate and function and the, and the corruption that does exist in our own government. So local action has a national impact. In our country, we have, I'll just, you know, it's, we have a little bit more, but we have 3,100 counties, let's say, 3,100 counties in the United States of America. Not all of them are, are what I would call priorities for me, but I think anybody that lives in any one of those counties should say to themselves, what more can I do to get involved in my child's education? What more can I do to get involved in the local ordinances and the local policies and the local laws that are created at the county level? The founding fathers of the United States of America, and thank God that they did this, they started with individual liberties first, and then they went up to the top and, and granted the federal government some, some things that it must do, like foreign diplomacy, as an example. You know, have some defense capabilities to be able to protect us from foreign invaders. But they really started with individual rights and liberties. And that's why we now, you know, we have this beautiful phrase called the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They argued over that phrase for a long time until they came up with that the beautiful sentiment that is for every single individual human being in the United States of America who is a legal American citizen. And so... We all have the right to life, we all have the right to liberty, and we all have the right to pursue happiness however we want to do that. And that's, that is such a beautiful sentiment. That is at risk. And so when they did that, they were telling people at the local level within the original 13 colonies, you have a responsibility there, citizen, to participate and to get involved in your communities and to debate and to challenge the kinds of people that we that we had at that time who were officials in the government, who were these, you know, who were these, uh, these champions, right? Because not everybody, as I said, I'm going to repeat myself, not everybody can be a Washington, D.C. superstar. Not everybody can be a Joan of Arc. We have to have these little flowers all over the country of the United States of America and all of our 50 beautiful states. We have to have these flowers that are blooming, and they have to, they have to bloom constantly. They have to fight through... The, the, the damp and the dark uh, weather that is that is trying to settle in over America by these institutions and by these globalists who want to destroy uh, what the United States of America has always stood for. A fact of life, Noor, is that every nation state has risen and has fallen. That's just a fact. I mean, we, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to come back on and just talk a little a bit about the history of, of various empires and what were the indicators that, that caused them to decline and then disappear off the, off the face of the earth. Well, the United States of America is still very strong because we have about 330 million citizens, maybe more, maybe closer to 340 million. I have to go back and look at the census. But we still have many, many millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of U.S. citizens, American patriots, who still believe in democracy, who still believe in basic freedoms, who still believe in basic rights, and who are willing to step up and challenge these classes of people, this corrupt bureaucracy and this corrupt elected, these elected officials. So what am I seeing to give people some, some light out there? What I'm seeing is I'm seeing 
at local levels all across the country right now, and in some cases, some states, but local, principally local levels, where school boards are being overturned, local townships and the, and the mayors of local towns are being overturned, uh, com, you know, election commissions and the, and the commissioners, in, 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 uh, particularly in counties, are being overturned. And when I say they're being overturned, that means that new people are rising, flowers are blooming, and they're getting involved in these local communities. And to me, that's local action. That has that national impact. Because the more and more of these that we see, and then the more champions that then get involved at the next level, maybe the state level, who are running for, you know, new people running for governors, running for secretaries of state, running for attorneys general. I mean, we have a litany of people that nobody ever heard of that are now that are now, you know, formally business, formally military, uh, formally uh, just moms and, and dads out there in some cases, because I just I just got a report on a county up in uh, up in the state of Connecticut that just recently overturned, which is a really uh, a boon for me because Connecticut is such a is such a uh, really a socialist state, and so they had one good one county up there that just overturned in the last night. So we have all these things that are happening, people, and, and my, my call to action is for everybody to, to now you know, say to yourselves, what more can I do? Anyone, anyone nor who says, particularly any American citizen who says, well, I don't do that political thing, that's somebody else's business. That's why we are where we are. Exactly. Because we, we have taken for granted everything that we have, and that's, I'm going to let the politicians be politicians. As you know, They're all crooked. They're all corrupt. Well, that's why we are here. We've been so, lulled in this complacency. Yeah, that's exactly right. In many so, ways so that they could then come in and take over all these local offices and institutions, you know, Aras Soros right. and what he's done, as you know. Yes. So, so let me let me just uh, one more minute, and I'll and I'll stop. And no, please, please go ahead. Close up. One more thing is that, that I that I think I want to add for, to the to this this conversation. We'll we'll have it another time. But there's also nation states that have a completely different ideology than the United States of America has, right? The, the Chinese Communist Party, Russia. I mean, the entire uh, Islamic world. I mean, there, there are ideologies that are big, big ideologies that are competing against our ideology, which is an ideology really based on democracy, right, and freedom, and the ability for human beings to be able to, to, to make their own decisions. So those competing ideologies are, are large numbers, of, represent large numbers of people, even though they would love to be free, they, they are in, under dictatorships in most cases. So these competing ideologies are also threatening along with these elites who work with these competing uh, ideologies and these leaders within these countries. So I want people to understand that, that we, we have to seek, but when we go to uh, vote in 2022, and then let's hope we get to a vote in 2024 for a new president, we need warriors. We need, we need champions of Americanism. We need champions of democracy. We need champions of freedom. We need champions of individual liberties and individual rights. That's what we need. And we need people who are willing to stand up and fight for those and, and fight you know, through, a, through debating, fight through uh, understanding what, what, what authorities and duties you have as a, as a, as a governor or as a, as a county commissioner or as a president of the United States. And I think that 
What we don't need and what the American people don't need is they don't need any more politicians. Frankly, I get tired of watching some of these political action groups that have these that have these events and people traipse across the stage like like a beauty queen, like a beauty contest. And they're you know, look at me, I'm gonna I'm governor so and so or I'm senator so and so, I'm congressman so and so and look at me, I'm you know, I'm I'm run, I might be running for president. You know, I mean we want people to be I want people to be involved in politics, but I want every American, I want every single American now if you if you didn't hear anything I said, I want every single American citizen now to feel like they are part of the political machine. And we have got to get every single American involved in the political machine of this country. Otherwise, we're going to lose this country. That's local action. That will have a national impact. That will restore the institution of democracy in this country. And, and, uh, and I really do believe that. I believe that with my heart. And that's what I'm going to be. That's going to be my message going forward. It's my message this weekend going out there to Phoenix. It'll be my message in as we go around the country over the next, you know, 10 to 12 months. So, so I, I really, you know, thank you, Noor, for your voice. Uh, and like I say, you know, there's not everybody can be a Joan of Arc. Well, you're one of them. You're, you're one of those people out there. You're a champion for freedom. And uh, so, so, you know, understand that and, and leverage your platform and your presence and your knowledge and your intellect in, in uh, doing that because uh, it's so important that, those of us that believe in the future of freedom, uh, we have to align ourselves, even though we, you know, we may have different views on certain things, but we have to align ourselves for the greater good of humanity. Um, thank you for your very generous words, uh, General. Um, I'm very encouraged watching all these images of you know, parents at school boards, etc. We are at a very special time in history, and if I had to boil it down in one sentence, we really are in a war where it's tyranny versus liberty. And uh, although times seem bleak and uh, the, the forces are employing absolutely horrendous methods in order to subjugate us, I'm very encouraged, whether it's in America, over here in Europe, just by people standing up. And it gives me strength, you know, listening to you or, as I just mentioned, the parents in the school board meetings, we're all in this same boat fighting for the sake of liberty. And it's an honor to be uh, in this boat with, with you and all the other fighters for freedom. We're on the right side of history. That I know. You just said something profound, and I'll finish. Uh, you, you know, what you said was that tyranny is the enemy of freedom. And so... Every person on this planet needs to understand where do they, which side do they stand on when it comes to history. Do you stand on the side of tyranny or do you stand on the side of freedom? And I stand on the side of freedom. I know you stand on the side of freedom. And we just have to decide uh, how we're going to get there. And I, I do, I am, as, as you are, I am very encouraged by what I see populations around the world who are standing up and crying out to their governments to say, you know, you're, you're, you're bringing us to a place where we don't want to be. We accept freedom. We don't accept tyranny. So that's uh, very, very profound. And I think we can be very encouraged as well, even though it's extremely painful, as I mentioned, you know, to watch everything that is being deployed, you know, especially I'm watching very closely what is happening uh, with regards to um, the fake insurrection of 1-6 and these political prisoners, how they're being treated. But maybe one silver lining to all this all of this is to be encouraged by the fact that their efforts are commensurate 
to the threat that we pose to their rule and to their legitimacy. And they're terrified because more and more of us are awake to their machinations. And um, I think we will win in the end. Great. Well, Noah, thank you so much, and, and, uh, and let's, keep, uh, let's keep the conversation going, okay? Please come back on. It's been uh, an honor and a real pleasure, and I'd love for you to come back and discuss, you know, the rise and fall of empires, as you mentioned, and there's so much we can talk about, the John Durham progress. There's just so much, but uh, please do come back. It's a, it's a great honor, really. Thank you, General. All right. God bless. Bye-bye. God bless for everything this weekend as well at the rally. Thank you. Thank you.